Hello and welcome. My name is Chris. I'm Creston. And this is Rubber Duck Dev Show. Happy Halloween. Woo. I've got here my, my pumpkin spice latte. I'm ready to go for Halloween. Yeah, baby. Um, so tonight we're gonna have a little bit more of an informal type thing. Uh, a little less structured than we normally do. And it's gonna be a lot of philosophizing and probably some arguing, maybe some some round after round fisticuffs. Who knows? Oh, we're in we're in separate Which places. Which is hard so. to do virtually. Yeah, but <laughs> um anyway, we are going to talk about third party plugins, gems, libraries, libraries, whatever you're calling whatever the kids are calling those things these days um we're going to talk about those things tonight when should you use them when should you not use them how many is too many how many is not enough um but before we get into that what'd you do this week so spent a fair amount of time on postgres optimizations for clients this is these are query optimizations so looking at what's slow and then try to figure out through index additions or changes or schema changes to optimize how fast you know queries will run and hopefully use less resources doing it. Um, still dealing with these form spammers, so Blech. dealing a little bit with that, making some more tweaks to that. And uh, to my application, I'm actually adding a I'll call it a segment builder. So basically. I've had reports that you can run in the system and be able to pull a collection of people to send like an email broadcast to. So if someone gave to a particular thing or if someone is attending an event, uh, you can pull those or they attended or attending some sort of sub event within that longer event. But I'm actually doing a segment builder that is able to look across the system through any form they've submitted or event they've attended or gift they've made <clears throat> and specific ones and kind of have a query interface where basically it's like writing SQL, but you use clicky things to say this criteria and this criteria and this criteria or this criteria. So I've been working on putting this live in my app. So that's most of the stuff I've been working on this past week. Ooh. I actually had a quite an eventful week, especially the past two days have been like I got finished working about 45 minutes ago and had to eat dinner and get the thumbnails ready for the show and do all the prep work and sit down. And, and then uh, I mag magically had time to grab a cup of coffee. But um, we actually had an issue, the, the tough issue in programming. I was dealing with caching. Oh, yeah. Um, we actually had one of our bigger, our biggest client was running some load tests on staging stuff. And we started having speed issues that was related to Redis and the caching and and all that stuff. So we I, I was doing a lot of research on Redis and and how to how to improve caching and had to go through code. When are we caching? Should we be caching here? Windows. And this is in the staging environment. Yeah. Um, okay. Or load testing environment or whatever you want to call right. it. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's their load testing environment. 
Um, they actually have several different staging environments that step through different bits, but um, it was it, it was quite well, it still is quite a challenge because I mean caching. They say the hardest things to do in programming are caching, expiring caches, and naming methods, and I had to do quite a bit of both of those past few days. So that's all fun, but we're still we're still working through code to to try to figure out where are we expiring the caches um when is best time to do it when do we need to update them um and that kind of stuff so that's that's been a bit of a bit of a Challenge. gut punch this week <laughs> gut punch that's a good one they've been running me ragged but it's fun I'm learning a lot so that's that's good not bored that's for sure so Plugins, gems, third-party libraries, stuff that other people write. Let's talk about that. All righty. Do you want me to kick off? You go, man. I go. Okay, so uh, yeah, so this is a topic that we came up with and kind of like how I was thinking about it when debating a particular question, I think about, okay, what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages? and because and then a lot of answers to questions are also it depends. So I'm going to kind of cover that. How do you know when should you do it and kind of some guidelines that I tend to use and you can share yours as well. Never do it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so, so in terms of the in in terms of advantages, my thinking is it's a great opportunity to save time. So it's just code you don't have to write. And you can, you have a particular thing you need to do, job you need to do. You can go out and look for code that actually does that thing, incorporate it into your project, and then you're kind of good to go. And ideally, it should be tested, these libraries that you're bringing in. And, and this is a definitely in the Ruby world, there's a lot of test-driven development. Well, not test-driven development necessarily, but tests that cover different gems or libraries in the community. So that's a great thing to have that it's kind of pre-tested so you don't have to test any, you know, shouldn't have to worry too much about the internals, but you just have to do testing to make sure that, okay, the library, the library works within your application. And that's pretty much all I got for advantages is basically speed. Well, I mean, it's, yes, um, there's stability things too, because Let's let's take for instance a gem like Devise. It's it's been around. It's heavily used, which means it's heavily tested. The edge cases are worked out. All the guff for those complicated and, things. And for those who don't know what Devise is, Devise is a authentication authorization um, library, library for Ruby, for Ruby and Rails and stuff like it. Yeah. Right. Um. So. You know, and that doing that stuff is complicated, especially with when you have to to bring in all the OAuth stuff and the, the different ways of hey signing with Google or you know, um, and keeping track of that and 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 doing the password resets and all that stuff. It's that's not easy. That takes a lot of time, and it it is it can have a lot of problems. So having a library like that that's heavily used, heavily tested, huge community. Um, I actually prefer sorcery to devise myself, but um, 
you know, that's a big benefit. Don't reinvent the wheel if the wheel's already there. Just pick the wheel up, put it on the cart, and go. You know, uh, unless you're learning. I mean, that's a completely different thing. If you're doing production stuff, yes, go get the thing. If you're learning, use the thing to do it yourself so that you can learn. So that's kind of a different can of worms. But um, yeah, there, there's the security and stability of it is another big advantage for a lot of them, for the, for the bigger ones. Yeah, if you're not quite sure what you're doing, definitely <laughs> go with a library like Devise for your authentication. Oh, show. All right, and then had a bunch of disadvantages, twice as many <laughs> as advantages. That's not to say you shouldn't do it, but you know, so like one, some of the ones I have are is basically it adds another update burden to your code. So what that means is that you're having somebody else modify the code. Now that can be beneficial because like, if you're talking about an authentication library, if some exploit is discovered, others are going to be updating that code for you. And, but it's incumbent upon you to kind of like update that gem, but you're gonna have these updates that are gonna be coming in for these libraries that if you wanna stay current, you're gonna to have to do that. So that's an, something that you'll have to take into consideration. Yeah, and I've been bit in the real world by that, by that as a disadvantage because, hey, Rails 6 just, yeah. right. hey, Rail <laughs> just came out. I want to update. I can't yet because all my 800 gems haven't become compatible with Rails 6 yet. So that's a thing. Yeah, and, you know, you were talking about Devise, which is, again, the authentication the most popular authentication library for Rails. Well, before Devise got into that position, it was years I cycled through two or three different authentication frameworks and they all kind of went by the wayside. Um, yeah, so, and so particularly when you're upgrading major versions of your framework or even the language, you'll find a lot of these they become a burden in a different way in that you can't upgrade. And I kind of mentioned that in a minute here. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so going on to the next item I have in terms of disadvantage is that they may become abandoned. So if you choose, yeah, I mean, even if you choose like a paid for library that you're going for, or even an open source library, <laughs> hey, I pay for some stuff and it gives me excellent code that I don't have to write. But anyway. <laughs> See, this is the but, argument we're going to have. <laughs> okay. So like I, for another client, I'm upgrading their Rails version and there are a handful, not all of them, but there are more than a handful, I'll call it more than a handful. <laughs> so say more than five or six or even 10 gems that are no longer being maintained. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the dis downside of it. Yes, you can go and grab a library, integrate, it's all working great, but a year later, is it still going to be maintained? And now this becomes even a security concern now because have they been doing things that are now deemed insecure for some reason? 
you know, because when you run Breakman, that doesn't go through all your gems. It's just running through your own code. And again, sorry for bringing up Breakman, but that is a essentially a static code analyzer for Ruby to look for security um, issues. So, you know, it just scans your code. It doesn't scan the third party, party library code. So anyway, so abandonment, particularly in open source, but also for closed source stuff is, is an issue that, you know, you need to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. uh, the next area of disadvantages is uh, you may not get sufficient support. So in terms of open source, that means like you post an issue or you see tons of issues that are never addressed there. That could be a problem if you were running into issues with integration or again, you do an upgrade and now it's not working and you're trying to find out, hey, is will there an update be done on this gem, you know, on this library or not? So I can upgrade my Rails for, for example. So, so that can be a particular concern. Uh, the next area is it may lag in necessary updates relative to other parts of your code. So, and what I mean by that is basically you want to go to Rails 6 today, but the right. library can't go to Rails 6, or you want to go to Rails 7 two months after it's released. Well, the probability that for at least a medium to a large size code base will have all of its gems be able to move that quickly to Rails 7 is probably not going to happen. Right. So that's something, you know, so even though you can go faster initially, it may slow you down in the future. And I've hit that just about every Rails upgrade. I've had to wait and wait and wait for one or more gems to catch up. And I've actually gotten to the point of having to fork the gem off and make it work myself because the gem author wasn't doing anything. And I'm like, ah, gotta go. Yeah, I mean, what I tend to do, and or this could be for any framework, but particularly Rails, like when Rails 7 comes out, I'm not going to use it at all. I'm not going to upgrade to it. But when I usually give it, frankly, like a year, unless there's something that I desperately need, and I'll go on to 7.1, you know, whatever the next page of version is, because by then, everything that is not abandoned should essentially be working with Rails 7 at that point. Right. So and I, and I think that's, it that way. you know, that's a point with production <laughs> stuff is if you've got production stuff that's heavily relied on by a lot of clients, you don't necessarily want to jump on bleeding edge as soon as it comes out anyway. That's dangerous. Um, so that's not always a terrible thing, but there are cases where, oh gosh, we got to, we, we need to update this. Can't. You know. Yeah, or if you're looking for particular features that you've been waiting on that this really, you know, helps out. Um, now, I wouldn't be too fearful of moving a production code base onto Rails 7, <clears throat> excuse me, because of who it has behind it. Like, if I know Shopify is running it and, um, you know, Basecamp and others are running it, I would be less concerned about, you know, moving towards it. Right. And and Rails <clears throat> Rails hasn't been as big a deal as something like .NET. Upgrading 
.NET versions is just horrendously scary. Uh, because, you know, as soon as they put one out, the day before that, they've, they're putting a patch together for the one that they just yeah, released. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, you know, it, it depends on the environment. But usually, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's doing production work that'll jump on a new major release day of for their production stuff. They'll jump on it oh, like staging or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. play and see, is this going to help us? What's what's the deal mm. here? What's going on? But, you know, jumping that soon in your production environment is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, no, I would never ad advocate doing that either. Yeah. I usually wait till the next point version. <laughs> let it season they, a little bit. <laughs> let somebody else work the kinks out. Exactly. All right. Um, the next potential disadvantage is that it may cause conflicts with other libraries, or you may have other dependencies. Because I know when, again, working with other clients trying to do a Rails upgrade, there you get into weird dependency issues because at least with Ruby's libraries called gems, you specify each of the sub-dependencies of that gem. And some of them choose weird versions and you're trying to upgrade to the next version and then this one has locked some ancient version of a gem but then the other gem needs it to be higher than that version and it won't take the liberty you know so it's this dependency tree nightmare trying to figure out okay who's at fault and how can i fix this to right. do the upgrade so again, it's it's more dependencies. <laughs> Basically, it's more dependencies in your code you got to work through. I've run into that so many times. It's such a pain in the butt. It's like, just, just stop. Exactly. Yeah, that's why a lot of advantages. Excuse me. That's why there's a lot of disadvantages with this path. There are, yeah. Um, and then the uh, final disadvantage is uh, introduction of potential licensing issues. Because code you write yourself, there's or for a, your role in a company, there's generally not any issues with copyright. Um, however, if you're pulling open source uh, libraries into your code base, what does the license say you have to take that into account? Or even if it's closed source and you need to incorporate it in, into your product or your app, your code base, do you have the proper licensing to do that? So it's uh, you know, there's more licensing issues involved in legality compared to just writing your own code. Right. And it may not be just the license of the library you're using, because if they are using some sub-library, they might run into licensing issues that'll percolate up to you. Yeah. So much like a dependency tree, there's a licensing tree. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Yes, a licensing tree. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, those are the some disadvantages I came up with. Are there any others you thought of? Um, I don't think so. That that pretty much covers the things that I worry about when I'm looking into should I use a plugin for this or should I just write it myself. Those are the the things that I think about. Okay. All right. So uh, the next topic was going to discuss is basically when should you choose to use 
a third-party library. So basically, you know, a lot of answers to questions are it depends. Well, when what does it depend upon? So <laughs> how lazy you are. Anytime you can, you lazy SOB. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, I'm lazy as hell. If somebody else is gonna write it for me, knock yourself out. Yeah, so when I go to look at a library, so I need to do some particular piece of code and you know, it's a big job and I can envision something doing it more efficiently or someone's written something before I'm looking, okay, I'm going to look and say, okay, what is a well-supported library? So what's out there? So there are different websites for libraries and I do a search to say, okay, what are the popular ones? How, when's, when was the last time they were updated? Um, how many, you know, if it's open source on GitHub, how many stars or follows does it have? Uh, and then I start taking a look at the issue tracker on GitHub to say, all right, how many open issues are there? Um, are they being responded to? How many closed issues? So, you know, I even click the, the closed area to say, okay, what are recent discussions? How often are they dealing with issues? Um, basically looking for kind of a history of how well this has been supported. Um, you know, a lot of open source code bases, at least in Ruby, have, you know, the change log. So I kind of take a look at the change log and see, all right, what's been happening with this library over time. And when was the last gem published and how often are the gems or plug in? Yeah, or, or yeah, because the, sometimes the there's a, right, because sometimes there's a huge difference sometimes between when something's been published on like the library sites to what state the actual code base is in and you're kind of like what <laughs> right that's nice What's your master on? branch is up to version to, to rails 7 but i don't want to keep pulling your master branch in my gem file so when are you going to put a gem version out yeah um now um i think there's This is my opinion. You may have a difference of opinion, but I think some of your due diligence, I, I personally think a little bit more due diligence is required for open source versus pay, I'll call it paid source. Yeah, you didn't live in the .NET world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm talking about, and, and the reason that I'm saying this is these are, because what I've actually paid for is more so like services. So they're actually providing, um, the libraries aren't a one and done affair. So there's a consistent relationship I have with, because I've only done this for like two services slash APIs slash libraries. And I pay, you know, a yearly, fee to use this particular, or you could do it monthly, to use these particular services. So I'm paying them on a monthly basis and they need to be keeping their act together, or if not, right. you know, I can- Well, I mean, I'm all for them. services, paying for services. I'm, I'm good with that, but- Yeah, so I just wanted to clarify, it's a little bit different than buying a one-time library that does something, right. because that to, I haven't seen a lot of that in the Ruby world. No. Or even in the JavaScript world. I'm not too familiar with that. No, it's very prevalent in the .NET world, especially in the 
the desktop.net world, but even in the web.net stuff. Um, and, and it's the, the, the .net world is very heavily closed source. Um, so that's where I kind of got my shell shock from paid for libraries because I got screwed so many times being in that situation. Okay. Where, hey, we bought this closed source library. It does some stuff. Now it stops doing some stuff or the company goes out of business or they're not updating to the latest version of whatever it plugs into. And there's nothing I can do about it. You know, my code's all. Okay. So that is a huge consideration because if you're getting, if some of what, something which you purchased is closed source and the company goes out of business, then you're hosed. Yeah. So I don't ever, ever get closed source stuff. If it's not open source, I don't want anything to do with it. Because, yeah, I don't want your library. <laughs> right, because with at least with open source, if nobody maintains it and it dies off, I've still got the code and I can make my stuff work if I have to, right? But with yeah. closed source, sorry. And I just ran into that way too many times. And the only time I ever paid for stuff is closed source. Because if it's open source, I mean, other than buy me a coffee type thing, they can't get you to pay for it, right? Yeah. So, and I'm more comfortable when I'm, of course, they could go out of business, but you know, there's also different due diligence for a closed source library you're purchasing. Um, like the ones that I'm doing, they're connected to services. I'm paying them a not insignificant monthly or annual fee for it. So, you know, business model wise, and I think a fair amount of their code is open source. So it, stuff wouldn't just stop working, but still I feel a little bit more comfortable with that versus a one-time fee for a library. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but the, the, the closed source pay for stuff, I am just, you will never see me using it ever again. It yeah. just, it killed me so too many like, times. So like .NET, they just delivered stuff as a DLL, for yeah. example, that does something? Basically, okay. yeah. So it's compiled. Mm -hmm. It's binary stuff, so you can't like yeah, reverse and, engineer. Or do and anything. I mean, okay. technically you can get decompilers and reverse engineer the stuff, but yeah, they're but it's... flaky and, and the decompilers are really expensive too. So, I mean, you're just screwed all the way around, you know? You've got to depend on this other company completely. So it's just too dangerous, especially as yeah. fast as things move now. You know, back in the 80s or 90s, this was a little bit different story because you didn't do one-week sprints and turn things around constantly. There wasn't this continuous integration model then. So, yeah, if I had to wait three months for a new DLL, okay, takes me six months to get a release out anyway. But nowadays, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just that's a that's a non-starter. All right. So a lot of the stuff that I mentioned in terms of assessing, uh, in terms of what I do, I kind of already covered it in terms of 
you know, looking at the history of how well it's been maintained, how many people are actively using it, how are the issues addressed. Um, and then the other thing that I do before I commit to go ahead and using a library is I actually look at the code to see what it's doing and how complicated it actually is. So like, I think I did this for, I think it might've been my Elixir project um, or my Phoenix project that I was working on where I needed to do, oh gosh, I think it was something with HTTP authentication library. I was trying to find a library that did something specific with regard to that. And I found, sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but I found a library that did it. And I took a look at the code base of the library. I'm like, what, this is all it does? I mean, 90% of it was boilerplate prep in the library. Mm -hmm or the hex package is what they call them. And 10% of the code, I mean, basically it came down to 10 lines of code. I'm like, I'm not gonna incorporate a library for 10 lines of code I need. So right. basically I said, I'd use it a learning as a learning experience. You know, I'm not like I copied the code, but I'm like, okay, this is how you could potentially do it. And then I rolled my own implementation without worrying about introducing an, another library. Well, and the... The learning is the first division I use when I'm faced with, hey, we've got some new thing we got to do. Should I use a, should I go search for a third party tool? Well, the first thing I ask myself is, do I just want to learn how to do this? Is this something I'd rather just learn how to do? I don't want somebody else doing it for me because I'm excited about it and I want to learn it. Right. So before I even go looking for a third party tool, it's, do I want to, do I want to be lazy on this one or do I actually want to do it? Cause I'm excited about it. That's, that's my first litmus test. Um, you know, and then I got to, and even if I do want to learn it, a lot of times what I'll do is then go to open source libraries that do it and find out what they're doing and learn from them. Cause the, rediscovering all that stuff is time wasting, but learning it and going through the process of developing it is good practice so yeah i mean that's a good question like and i guess this is a different line for everyone it's kind of like you have a feature you need to develop when do you go looking for a library and when do you just start down the path of coding it um I think when, like my line is when I have to start interacting with something I'm unfamiliar with. So for example, if I'm doing, trying to do Google authentication or I'm trying to do interface with a particular new service or library and they may offer an easy way to integrate with it. Um, I may check into using that library, using libraries to do it. Like for example, this is a good good example. So the email provider that I use for my application is called SparkPost. So basically I offer an API for you to send emails through. And 
at the time I was looking at, okay, what libraries do they have? And I think I needed a, yeah, I needed a library for some Elixir stuff I was doing as well as Ruby. So we looked at the libraries available and I think this was a few, this was a few years ago and they hadn't been updated in a while, these libraries. So I just said, okay, you know, I wanted to use one of these libraries, but I looked, it didn't pass my maintainability test. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't look like it'd been updated frequently or it had been updated in a number of months. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want to rely on this. So I said, all right, how hard would it be for me to just use, you know, another library that I do use for interacting with, you know, HTTP APIs. I think there's some of the Ruby ones are, is it like HTTP party or mm -hmm. I can't remember some, some of the ones anyway, whichever one I use, I don't remember now. I said, all right, well, could I just do this without worrying about this other library? And that's the path I ended up going. Cause I was like, I did seek it out because I'm like, I don't even know how to start this interacting with this new email interface. And I think it would be easier to use it. But then once I found there wasn't something that met my kind of needs, I kind of dropped back and said, all right, well, how hard would it be for me to code it? And I'm like, all right, well, it wasn't that bad at all. Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, so, and that kind of, that kind of bridges the gap to the next thing that I ask myself when I, when I'm, deciding on should I use a third party or not is whether I want to learn it or not, do I have time to learn it? Yeah. In, yeah, yeah. in a production environment, that's a big deal. Like this week, if I was faced with, do I have to get a third party or a, a, a gem to do it or something else? I'm getting a gem automatically, whether I want to learn it or not, because, you know, it, there's, there is zero time for extra stuff this week. So, you know, that's another important consideration if you're in a in a production environment that has deadlines and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, and every developer does these days, you know, so right. that time pressure is constant. So, well, yeah, but I mean, if you're just learning, if you're just doing a little side project for funsies, like oh, I do sometimes, sure. you know. And then just write everything yourself to learn. <laughs> Well, even then, I'm like, I ain't writing an authorization engine. I'd, no. <laughs> well, I mean, if if that if that floats your boat, you could do it as right. long as it's not something that's you know production critical for someone who's paying you money, <laughs> unless sure. you know what you're doing. So, yeah, and I guess you know a big question I hear, and, and this is very subjective and very circumstantial is when are you when are you using too many plugins um you know should we add another plugin is it going to be too many well it depends um i would say don't use any more than you have to like like your example don't get a plugin for 10 lines of code you're just yeah. adding a whole lot of overhead for no particular reason don't do that um but something like devise or or authorization and authentication stuff absolutely use a plugin for that because that stuff is core critical to almost every web app 
it, that's those plugins have been tested and used and beaten to death and and run through the ringer, so you know they work. And there's huge communities of support behind them. So, you know, if you're faced with that, yeah, use a third-party plugin. Unless you're a masochist and really just want to write an authorization engine yourself. But, you know, you do you. But, um, yeah, it, you know, too many is highly subjective. And I've, I've, I've been asked that question before, and it's like, well, I don't know what... Do I have too many plugins? I don't know. Are you having problems with them? Yeah, I mean, I kind of looked at it. I did this may be a poor analogy, but it just popped in my brain. It's kind of like, do you have too much debt? Now, I don't mean technical debt, but imagine from a personal finance perspective, do you have enough too much debt? Can you take more debt? Well, I could probably take more debt, but it probably wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah. Um, could you reduce your debt? You know, so it's kind of like, is the weight of the number of libraries hindering you moving forward? Like, is it causing you preventing forward momentum? Like, hey, we wanted to upgrade to the next version of Rails to get this new feature. Well, we can't because we've got these 10 gems that aren't updated. So it's like, all right, well, maybe that's a case where you're using potentially too many or you're not doing sufficient due diligence, but it's going to happen anyway. But, you know, you could probably add more due diligence to even review the libraries that you have now. So number one, assess before you incorporate something new. And then I think it's would also be a best practice, particularly for larger code bases, is to regular, regularly review the libraries you are using and assessing. Right. To say, should we keep using this or should we drop dead weight? And that's absolutely important because what happens a lot of times is you'll see gems in a gem file that were put there because right now we don't have time to develop this ourselves. So we're going to put a gem in here so that we can keep moving forward. But this gem needs to go six months from now when we do have time to implement our own because our own is going to be better for us than what this is. You know, so... It, and but what happens is that review doesn't happen a lot. And so the band-aids keep piling up and you get a gem file with 300 gems in it. And you're like, oh God, well, I can't review it now. That would take a year. You know? I think, you know, this is what I use as my metric to do my assessments for the code bases I maintain, or if I'm doing other clients, is at the point of doing the Rails upgrades. And generally, I like to do a point upgrade at a time. Um, and that way, just work methodically and say, all right, are these, then do the audit of the gems then. So mm -hmm. why is this here? Is it needed? You know, and yes, that takes a long time, you know, it's a longer process to do, but you know, you'll you'll make your code base more efficient. Cuz again, all that dead weight is has to be loaded into your Rails applications every time you start up the process. Right. And and I think see I even keep them up to date and and kind of audit them more frequently than that. Besides the bundler audit that just runs in our build process automatically. So several times a day we're running a bundler audit um to check for for 
problems, CVEs, but um, I will actually about once a month run a bundle outdated and say, do I have any gems that have been updated? Let me go ahead and update them now so I don't get in a position where, okay, it's time to go to rail seven. I haven't updated my gems for two years. Oh God, <laughs> things are going to just be destroyed. Well, I what I was mentioning was an audit to determine do I still need this thing? Not should it be updated? Oh yeah. So yeah, so updated yes occurs much more frequently. But I'm saying making the decision point: do I still need this gem? That happens less frequently for me. Basically, whenever I'm going to be doing the next point upgrade. But doing but updating the gem itself that happens much more frequently. Right. But yeah. But I also use that outdated as I'm as I'm seeing outdated gems, if I get a, a hit on one of those, I'll look at that gem because it's usually just a couple of them, right? So I can take those in small bites and look at this and say, okay, do I still need this? Do I need to bother to update this or should I just get rid of it? Or or at least ticket it to, hey, we need to reevaluate this at some point. Sure. Um, so, it, but, the, you know, I, I've most of my career has been with very large code bases and you get literally i've had to work with gem files with 250 gems in them that's a lot and keeping that under control is almost a full-time job in and of itself um and, and i would say that 250 plugins is probably too many for anybody but you know, I I didn't I didn't write it all, so <laughs> I can't, you know maybe they are necessary, but I, that's probably a little excessive. But that's that thing again, you know, code bases that have been around for ten years and it's got band aids on band aids on band aids. That's what happens. Is you start getting plugins on plugins, and half of those aren't used anymore. And the other thing I think we ought to make obvious is that I would say an over-reliance on third-party third party libraries is a reason why so many developers don't want to do an upgrade of their application framework. Yes. That... So like, what would prevent someone from just upgrading to the next Rails gem? We got all, excuse me, next Rails version. Oh, we got all these libraries that they are not going to be compatible or we got to assess the whole thing. You know, that tells you you probably got too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's happened. I've had to say that several times. Um, and it's, it's, it's bothersome because, I mean, that's not the only thing that'll prevent you from upgrading. There's been things in my code where, uh, you know, Rails, like Rails 4 to Rails 5 was a big deal. I had to change a, a good part of my code because um, there were a lot of breaking changes in there. I'm not saying there were bad changes. I'm just saying, hey, we deprecated this. You didn't pay attention to our deprecation warnings. That's on me. Uh, and now it's gone. <laughs> So, um, and, you know, things that were unintentionally breaking, I think, popped in a couple of times, too. Four to five was a big chasm leap, but um, 
I it, keeping the plugins under control, your third party stuff under control is important. The other really important thing is if you're going to use a plugin, some third party thing, especially if it's open source, even though you're not writing it, you really need to understand what it does. Not just how to use it, but what it does. Because it can have big effects on your code. So, and you need to know, hey, if, if a bug pops up and it's related to this thing in my production code, you know, I should at least be familiar with it enough to know, hey, this is probably coming from this third-party library. Yeah, because so many libraries can, like, rewrite the way certain things work. So, mm -hmm. especially yeah, that could Rails. be a big concern. Yeah. I've run yeah. into all kinds of gems that kind of do monkey patching for things. And I'm like, well, this this object, this class is not supposed to work like this. This shouldn't be happening. On? Right. <laughs> when I go into the console and do this, it doesn't work like this. So, yeah, I mean, you should understand, especially with open source stuff, you should get into the code and at least get a fundamental understanding of what the code is doing. Yeah, like I've, an example, you know, you're talking about something different in the console. Like I was looking at Rails logs for one application. Like I'm very familiar with how they look with my applications. And I was working on a client project and I was like, what the heck is this log? Where are the dates and times and the log? What's going on? Log rage. <laughs> Not that I'm mad at the log, like the gem, log rage. <laughs> Somebody brought that in and started customizing their logs. And that gives me log rage. Now, I do like that gem, but I like to know it's being used. <laughs> so... Uh, so I think that's kind of the long and short of what you should do about third-party libraries. Yep. Uh, so next week, we're going to talk about when do you stop planning it and start doing it? When does planning go beyond being useful? Uh, when should you just say, okay, we've talked long enough, time to get to mashing keys. Um, so that'll be the topic for next week. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure and subscribe, mash the like button. Uh, if you're on Twitch, give us a follow. Just wherever you are, mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Um, we will be back next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, just like every week. Um... We will probably be in sugar comas from the Halloween candy, but, you know, we'll be here. Uh, and we are... Um, join us over on rubberduckdevshow.com. Join our mailing list so you can get our newsletter. And you can listen to us in a podcast version on all of the major podcast suppliers, including iTunes. Yes, we're on iTunes now. Yay! Uh, so, we will see you guys next week. And until then, happy coding. Happy coding. Bye. Bye.